Boogie kind of quiet Winter time at the ocean A once vibrant town Now frozen in
Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd, middle initial C. Walker, and we have been listening to the song The Ocean from the recent release by Stephen Gelman. And those of you in the greater D.C., Baltimore, Frederick area know Stephen from playing in coffee houses and wineries. But what you didn't know, many of you, or at least I did not know, is he has played in such places as the Birchmere in Alexandria, the Ark in Ann Arbor, the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville, Tennessee, Tin Angel in Philadelphia, and Club Passim, which is the pre, one of the premier folk clubs in the United States located in Boston. He's also performed at the National Theater and at the White House. And he's opened shows for people like Dar Williams, Richie Havens, Richard Schindel, and Al Stewart, among others. And he's on the phone with me right now. Stephen Gelman, how are you? Hi. Hi, Todd. Thanks for having me. That was quite an intro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually paraphrasing from your website. I, I hope you don't mind. Oh, no, no, that's great. I, I, I never read it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I did do those things. <laughs> <laughs> now, that brings up a question I have. Your website is hiddenpoet.com. Where yes. does the hidden poet come from? Um, I, I, You know, it's, it's funny. I get this asked a lot, and I wish I had a really great answer for people. But, like, when I started this career, oh, so long ago now – I um I needed I was filling out um paperwork for ASCAP, you know, <laughs> back when everything was paperwork not on a computer, <laughs> and um and I needed a name and I couldn't think of anything so I just I called my friend Raymond who's very clever, and I said uh, Raymond I need a name for my publishing company, and he immediately without blinking an eye said Hidden Poet, and um because he said that's how he he thought of me huh. and i was like oh my gosh i love that so it, it just that's how it happened and it's just been there all along now was did he come up with that because he always thought you were a poet but didn't show it which i hate to do little sound things like that but or was it something that you were were a reluctant writer in your younger years no that he thought that i didn't see my potential ah very good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've always loved that. Yeah. Well, that first song, The Ocean, which is off your new CD, Cold Harbor, the reason I played it, for a number of reasons, one, I really like the song, but two, the way it comes in kind of quiet, and then all of a sudden, the you know, the percussion comes in big time. Mm-hmm. And I picture myself sitting in a, when we could, at the theater in one of those nice seats that semi-recline, <laughs> and the... It's a blank screen. We hear the intro, and then as soon as the percussion hits, there's this sports car with the top down driving along the cliffs in California or the West Coast with the ocean and the waves breaking in the in the uh, down below. And that just you know it's like that impact. Oh wow! You you need to like tell that to some uh, com- you know movie company or tell them <laughs> <laughs> like hey. <laughs> You so, need this song, <laughs> or even a car commercial. <laughs> yeah. Now, was that was that song? And we'll talk about the songs on this new CD. The was there something behind the ocean, or is it just you came up with an idea and it just kind of morphed? Um, yeah, it, it, it's funny how that song um, really, from its humble beginnings, really became something completely different. Um, it started because every year 
um, for gosh, I don't know how many years now. Um, I, I would go with my friend Susan to Rehoboth Beach in uh, January, which like people are like, what? <laughs> but our, our, our birthdays are a day apart. And we have been friends since uh, 10th grade. So we've a very long friendship and um, our days, our birthdays are so close together and we would always just go down for our birthdays to the beach when nobody's there. And we just bring some books and, um, and, you know, scarves and stuff, you know, heavy coats. And we'd love to go down there when it was just no one's there and it's just peaceful and um, quiet. And, um, we would go and just, you know, it's like time would stop. And it's interesting. I've seen how the the town has changed over the years in January. It's a lot more busy now and more things are open than it used to be. But it's like, you know, it's this beach town that just like stops. And I was always just um, taken back about how it's like this it's like this it's just frozen in time and um and that song was written over several years really of piecing together different thoughts from different trips and um it was actually a very short it was like a poem i had written and it was a very short song and um i never was sure what to do with it and then i thought well maybe i'll just like put it in between two songs on a record or something is kind of like a bridge or something. And, um, I wasn't sure. And it just kind of sat around. And then when I was writing songs for this album, I, I went back to this kind of little short ditty I wrote and then I, um, expanded upon it and wrote more. And then it just kept growing and growing and changing. And, um, it just became uh, a whole different entity and uh one one of my favorites and um actually one of the favorites of everybody kind of worked on the record oh this the ocean ended up being one of the more popular ones by everybody yeah yeah it's just it's uh it just became this ethereal like thing and uh like doug the cellist who plays with me like he you know just started writing this like nautical cello lines and then we turned margaret who sings with me she became like we were thinking of the sirens from the odyssey and she started doing the oohs and ahs and then and then um and then all of a sudden like we were working on uh um one of the sections in the thing layering um one of the things we because we play as a trio so Doug sings too, and sometimes we sing in three-part harmonies. And sometimes what we do is we do three-part harmonies with Margaret, me, and the cello as like a third voice. Mm -hmm. And we were working out a part in the song with that. And then I thought, well, what if we took those parts and sang them a cappella and stuck them at the end of the song? So we just sang the three parts a cappella, and we put it. It's just the song just kept growing, and it just turned into this really kind of cool. Like it's it's got so many things. Like how you said it, um, spread like this, the movie, like the the ocean, the California highway. Mm -hmm. Like the beginning does start like 
something from like it sounds like something from out of Laurel Canyon out of the seventies or something. And mm-hmm. then it, then it gets kind of new agey and then it, it's kind of, it's just, yeah, it just became its own kind of odd entity. And that's what I like about it. Well, you mentioned when you were writing the songs for this album or recording or CD, whatever we call them, every, those, those of us who are older and I'm much older than you, we still call them albums. I have to sure. train myself to call them a CD. And yet, now they're not CDs anymore. They're downloads. But yeah, what, yeah what, and it's an album again. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Yep. This came out on vinyl. <laughs> so it's on vinyl, CD, and digital, yeah. <laughs> so when did, you, when did you start thinking about a new album, and how did you go about starting to write? Did you have a theme in mind? Oh, yeah, for sure. I wanted to... There's a definite theme that runs through, you know, most of the, I'd say like eight out of the 10 songs on the record. And there was something I, I don't try to remember which song I wrote first, but I, I definitely wanted to expand upon this theme. And I thought this is something I should talk about. And I know there's other people that go through it too. And I want to write about it. So, and, and I wrote a song and then I started writing another song and then I'm like, I'm going to do a whole album about it. And it came out of, because I, I struggle with uh, like anxiety and uh, depression. And I, um, I had my first panic attack on my 21st birthday when I turned 21. I was at TGI Fridays <laughs> in Rockville with two of my friends, and I didn't know what was happening to me. And uh, my, it got so bad, my speech became slurred, and they thought I was having a stroke, and I was only 21 years old. And um, fortunately, my brother-in-law, who's a doctor, lived around the corner, and they drove me over to his house and they're like, I think he's having a stroke. And they're, and he's like, no, get a paper bag. He's having a panic attack. I never even heard of panic attacks. And um, so since I was 21, I'm a lot older than 21 now. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I've, it's just something that's come and gone for years. So I can go years and years and years and have no trouble with any of those things, no trouble with depression, no panic attacks, no, I mean, long stretches of time. And then it'll just come back out of the blue and it'll affect me for, you know, sometimes a very long while, sometimes for a short period of time. And it just, you know, rinse, wash, repeat over and over again throughout my whole life. And I just, um, you know, I, I just wanted to write about it. I sort of skirted around it in a few tunes here and there on earlier albums, but I just really wanted to tackle it head on because I just started seeing more awareness for these things. I used to think like I was alone with this weird thing called anxiety. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh no, lots of people are dealing with this. So that kind of encouraged me on to, to want to write about it. Now, besides writing about it, how have you dealt with it over the years to improve your, your, your lot in life, basically? Well, basically what I did, which I should have done long, long before was I finally went to a therapist Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, and that's what really, 
you know, started changing anything, changing everything. Um, I mean, that really turned my life around. And then, um, and then the funny thing is, I kind of thought like, wow, I wonder if I'm cured for this for life. Because it's like, it was really going for a long years of nothing, nothing, nothing. And then guess what? Decided to come back this last year, <laughs> uh. you know, you know, and I've um, heard a lot of people, but the, the thing is that's different about it now is because going to therapy, I, I have like more of the tools and like, ah, I know what this is. Okay. I know how to deal with this. So it's not like it's gone, but I deal with it better. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh no, it absolutely does. You know, you can't build a house, a good house, without the proper tools. And, you know, our minds and our bodies are basically just a living house, if you want to really simplify it. And uh -huh. so if you have the proper tools to keep it healthy, which is eating right and, you know, taking food supplements, whatever you exercising. But so many of us who do those things, and you see about them all the time in the, on, on the news and advertisements, you know, buy this ex exercise machine, so forth. But to talk about the mind, no, 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 you don't talk about no, the mind. Right. So right. It, it's interesting, but the, I was, because when I, I hadn't read the website, really, and I hadn't read the lyrics, and as I've told many people, when I first hear songs, I hear the complete song. It's the sound of the whole thing, the music bed, the vocal, everything. I'm not necessarily listening specifically to the lyrics. I may pick up I'm one. The same and, way. and once I've listened to it numerous times, then I start to hear the, the message. Or if I'm fortunate enough to have the lyrics in front of me, which is one of the reasons I used to love LPs because they were all written on the back. And unless there's a booklet and a lot of CDs, you can't, you just have to listen to it. So, Many times I'll read and I'll go, aha, mm -hmm. you know, and so right. the, but I had no idea and I'm listening to the, to the songs. I listened to the CD, gosh, two or three times I started to pick up and I'm thinking, huh, this sounds like, uh-huh. And so it's interesting because every time I have ever seen you and when I've seen you, it's been when you're performing, whether it's the Frederick Coffee Company or Hill Chapel uh, the now defunct Hill Chapel or places like that or on the street corner, you were always the, you know, gregarious out front smiley guy. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So mm -hmm. to read that, you know, that you um, suffered from things that other people do just was kind of like, really? But listening yeah. to the song, in, in fact, the, if I'm not mistaken, and again, I haven't really read all the lyrics, but isn't cold Harbor the most, um, specific song on the cd that deals yeah. with it um yeah like literally the the subject is touched upon in m almost every song on the record literally but uh cold harbor yes very very heavily uh it, it, it figures in and that's why i actually changed the name of the album because the album um had a different title but it's like I was like, no, this, you know, as the record took shape and started becoming more of a theme record, as there was more and more songs written about this subject, I started saying, I'm like, no, this album has to be called Cold Harbor. So I actually changed it to make that the title track. Now, what was the original name of the album? 
Well, the original name was the that good old quote, and I'd always my whole life wanted to write it, uh, use it as a title, which is Three Chords and the Truth. I'm mm-hmm. sure you're familiar with that. Absolutely. And because when I started writing the songs, that seemed like the proper title. Like, I'm just going to lay it out there. You know, I'm going to put all my, uh, you know, you know, troubles right out there on the table, share it with everybody. You know, <laughs> I'm going to talk about this hard stuff. And so it just seemed like three chords of the truth seemed like the perfect title. But after writing the, the song Cold Harbor, um, I thought, no, no, this is what it needs to be called. Speaking of three chords of the truth, do you tend to write using fairly, you know, one, four, five, three chords, basically, uh, with maybe, a you know, something thrown in on a bridge or something like that? Is that how you write, how you structure your guitar work? Uh, well, yeah, it, it's it's. It's um, it's usually more than that. Like I, I, I think I, I even wrote in the lighter notes something about like yeah, there's more than three chords. Like generally, it's like four or five chords, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but uh, or six. Um, but you know, yeah, I um, yeah, I keep it pretty, you know, straightforward, and um, yeah. Now, due to your vocal range, do you sing in certain keys? Do you have no? I never think about that. I um, I'm definitely a tenor mm-hmm. for sure, and um, I just kind of like when I'm writing, um, I'll just I don't know. It's wherever it feels good. Sometimes I'll change the key. Um, the ocean actually got I moved it up a whole step. That was lower. Oh. Like I had it. I had it really. Like I said, that song kind of really evolved. It was really low and really moody before, um, but we we popped. I popped that one up a whole step, um, and uh, I don't know. There's no. I don't tend to. I don't think about certain keys. I just kind of write where something feels good. Sure. Well, let's let people hear part of Cold Harbor so they have a better idea. Is that good with you? It's a great, great. That's my favorite song in the record. Here it is. I don't recognize me Shit. 
Now, was recording this album a healing experience for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, from start to finish, I mean, it, that started day one when I decided to, you know, write about these things. It was uh, like, you know, should I, oh, I don't know, should I? And then when I just said, yes, I should, and I gave myself permission mm-hmm. to do it, yeah, it was from there, it was just immediately freeing and healing. And, um, and you know, what's interesting is, you know, I, I finished this album and the pandemic hit. So, like, normally, like, there would have been a big release and all this, you know, concerts and stuff. And, you know, but, you know, we had COVID. So, like, these songs really hadn't, you know, been gotten to be played for people. I played, you know, you know, one or two rarely before but you know i i've always had this mentality that i save the songs until after the album comes out so it's like i wrote all these songs and most uh, nobody's really heard them but um but uh you know i i would play one or two occasionally and people would talk to me like that's me that's me and every time i heard that's me it, it was just like oh i'm so glad i did this yeah so when did you actually re go into the studio to record it oh before the pandemic really the the, the album was done yeah (laughs) so literally i was looking at um a this time last year release Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then i kept sitting on it and i remember thinking oh well we'll just release it over the summer you know and then the summer came and it was like "Mm, nope like maybe in the fall well, then the fall came. <laughs> nope. <laughs> you know. So much. And then I was, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And then I was just like, you know, as it got to winter, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to um, I'm just gonna put this out there for the world. So I eventually got sit on, sick of sitting on it. <laughs> well, your, your album is so much like many people's weddings, which have been postponed. My son has postponed right. his twice. My stepson has postponed his twice. And although many people have gotten married, like at the gazebo and the, the, the park in Frederick or in their backyard and stuff like that, people who wanted to have friends and family congregate have put it off and put it off. So you're right in there with, it's kind of a marriage between the music of the CD and the times. Mm, yeah. In many levels, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. where did you record the, the CD? I... um. I wanted to go to a new studio that I hadn't been to before. So I was deciding I went to, um, I started touring around different store studios and I had it narrowed down the two studios, um, one in Tacoma park. And then the studio that I did use, which is blue house in silver spring. And I went to both and I really liked both. And, um, and I was having a hard time deciding, um, but then uh, Jeff, um, the producer, and the owner of Blue House in, um, in Silver Spring, um, just had a pitch and really sold me. And I just went, okay, I'm going to go with you. And I'm really glad I did because uh, I had a very different vision of what the album was going to be uh, sonically because um, I originally went in thinking I'm, I want to make a real folk record, like real folk, not an electric instrument around, 
nothing. I really want to make a real folk record. And um, he really listened to the songs and he told me, I don't think, uh, you know, that's the type of record you should make with these songs. And his pitch really, uh, really sold me like how it seemed like he really listened to them. He gave it a lot of thought. And I just decided to trust in his vision that, you know, because I always feel like when you make a record, you need someone with an outside eye that is not invested, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like especially when these songs are so personal like this. And I I just decided to trust in his vision and I'm, I'm really glad I did. Well, it definitely, I mean, it has a produced sound for sure. Mm-hmm. What I really enjoy in people's songs, and again, it has, has to do with the song itself. It doesn't always work, but is the, it's like the percussion in the ocean is where mm-hmm. it just, you just hear that. boom. It just, it grabs me. Mm-hmm. And if used correctly, in my humble opinion, it just makes, or I shouldn't say it makes the song, the lyrics and the, the, the melody and the person who's singing, they make the song, but it just enhances it so much. Mm-hmm. Now, how long a period of time from the first time you went into the studio until you actually got to the um, final mixing stage? Um. Gosh, that's a good question. Um, because this was recorded basically over the year of like, okay, we're 21 now, right? The mm-hmm. pandemic was 20. So this was recorded over 2019. <laughs> and then it was mixed early uh, in um, 2020. Yeah. So it was recorded 2019, recorded and, and mixed in the um, beginning of 2020. Now, was it basically tracked? Um, each person did their own part and then you'd add the vocals or was it somewhat live in that the three of you who are so used to playing with each other maybe recorded as a trio and then layered onto that afterwards how did you go about that yeah it is really it's this is this is an interesting point you bringing this up so the two studios i was going back and forth had two different approaches so the studio which we didn't go to totally wanted the three of us to lay everything down together and then build around that and jeff was wanted to do it one at a time and um, I remember that was the only one thing like Doug, um, the cellist was, he wasn't sure if he's like, no, I think we should just lay this stuff down, the three of us together and then build around it. But, um, but we, we trusted in his vision and, you know, and, and um, we were just really happy with that, the way it turned out. So everything was recorded separately. Now, yeah. which, what did you layer, put down first? Was it the percussion um, or what did you do? No, no, no. It was, uh, I did a, like, you know, a scratch of just vocal and guitar, mm-hmm. uh, just me. And, um, and then I think, I think I then laid down my real guitar and then we brought in the, the drummer. He had a drummer he wanted, he had in mind. And again, I just, I trusted in his vision and oh my gosh, the, the drummer was, was great. Um, was great i i would agree with you it's very well done on the cd there i go again Um, cd album i jump back and forth well it is a cd (laughs) you know it's all those things you know it's um 
it's all those things. So, but it is an album. It is a CD. But um, anyway, the the drummer's name was uh was Mark uh, Prince, and he was just uh, brilliant. Like I'm like, oh man, great. Well, now Margaret and Doug do some of the harmonies. Did you do harmonies as well, or do you just do the melody? I didn't do any, no, I didn't do any harmonies on this. Mm-hmm. And no, it was all um, like we kept, even though everything was recorded separately, we, re- we kept the, uh, the, the way the three of us did the songs mm-hmm. and then expanded upon that. So, um, you know, so where we would sing in three parts um, that was done and where I told you earlier how we had this trick where we we sing in three parts with the cello, we did that as well. And um, you know, and then we just kind of um, built around it. And then some things we kept, and then some things we didn't kept. You know, so some things worked great for when we're performing live, and it's just the three of us. Mm-hmm. But when we have, you know, other instruments and other players and stuff. Um, you know, some of the stuff we, we changed a bit for the recording, but we, but we laid everything down eventually, even though separately, like we would do it live mm-hmm. and some of it, you know, ended up changing. Now, one of the, one of the other songs I really like is called family or the family. Mm-hmm. And it's was, funny, you're gravitating to all my favorite songs too. Cause oh, cool. you say the ocean, cold Harbor, <laughs> and these are like all my favorites too. So, <laughs> well, let's listen to a little bit of, of, is it the family or family? It's just family. Okay. Let's listen to a little bit of family and then we can chat about it. Thanks. In a crowded room, I feel alone In a lonely room, I feel at home In a family room, I don't feel known So I look down and I check my phone I'm fine with that expected grin I wonder why they don't understand me Even though we're called a family Now, people ask me quite often if my songs are autobiographical, 
And I tell them that, yeah, there's a little bit of me in every one, but how much of your songs, especially these songs on this album, are autobiographical or as close to? Well, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, that's... um. So in the past, before this album, it's always always been a mix, you know, always. But this album is is a hundred that's why i was going to call it three chords in the truth because it's just like it's the truth it's 100 percent the truth and it's all my story except for the girl we called the gypsy which is the true story of my my childhood friend um but uh yeah it, it's all it's all 100 percent um the truth yeah it's all my story yeah so how did you get into music in the beginning uh, well, the funny thing is, was I I wanted to draw uh, comic books and be a cartoonist. Actually, that's what I spent the first half of my life doing was was drawing, and I didn't even pick up the guitar or you know start doing anything with music until I think it was at the end of high school I started um, playing the guitar. And, um, you know, I wanted to play rock and roll, but uh, I could never keep a, a band together. <laughs> you know, it was really hard when you're a kid and, um, you know, everybody's, you know, attentions are pulled in so many different areas. Um, but I kept staying with it and I kept coming back to my love of music and um, the music kind of took over from the cartooning. And um, I think... Um, where it really became um, like all encompassing full time was when um, I had dropped out of college and cause I was going to go, you know, for an art degree and I just didn't want to do it, but I didn't know what to do with my life. <laughs> so I got a job at NIH <laughs> and, uh, and it was so boring. <laughs> like I, I I didn't have any skills. So I was just this like paper clerk and it was so boring. And I was like, I need to find a job where I'm creative. And I was just looking through the local paper and there was a nursing home down the street that was looking for someone for activities to plan fun things with the residents. And I'm like, well, that sounds something to be creative. And I went and started working in that nursing home. And I love that. I love that. And the residents were like, well, you play the guitar, you should bring your guitar in and play for us. But, you know, um, I was like, I didn't even sing back then. I just played and, you know, in the band, we had female singers. And I'm like, you, you want me to come in and just play I Love Rock and Roll, you know, <laughs> Joan <Jones laughs> song, you know, like, I, you know, and, but they wanted me to, to play for them. And I just, I started, you know, I, I remember the first thing I went home, I loved I used to love, before I got into my rock and roll phase, folk music. And the first record I ever fell in love with was Leaving on a Jet Plane. Because mm -hmm. my sister had a 45 record of that, you know, that she left on her record player that was in a suitcase in her room. And I would go in her room and play it over and over again. I'm like, I'm going to learn that song. So I, I went home and I learned Leaving on a Jet Plane. And then I went into the nursing home and sang for them Leaving on a Jet Plane. And they, they loved it, and I loved it. And that, I think that was where it really started, the journey. So now what did you use for guitar? What kind of equipment did you have back then? <laughs> um, well, I had 
I had a, uh, I had a, a Fender guitar, electric guitar, but it wasn't uh, the good kind. It was like the, you know, the knockoff mm-hmm. that was made in Japan, not the uh, the real Fender. And I had some cheap amp, um, but at the time, I um, I had a friend who gave me her brother's acoustic guitar that he didn't want. And she's like, oh, you play guitar. Here, take this. And I didn't want to play acoustic guitar because I didn't think it was cool then when I was in you know, high school. I wanted to play electric guitar. But I ended up gravitating towards that acoustic guitar when I started going back and discovering the original music that I loved early on before I was a teenager, which was, um, you know, John Denver and stuff. And that's where I really found like the real me was in the love of that type of music. And so I eventually um, saved up money. And then I remember the first acoustic guitar I bought was an ovation guitar. <laughs> Do you remember ovation guitars? Oh, of course I've owned two or three of them in my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, so that was my first cool guitar, and um, now I I play Taylor guitars, um, but yeah, that was kind of my my uh, evolution through guitars. <laughs> now on your website, there's a photo of you. It's on your bio page, and it's you smiling up to the camera, holding a guitar, and you're playing a Takamine. Is that one of yours, or is that a guitar oh, that you no. borrowed? Oh no, that yeah, that's not my. That's Nancy Wilson's guitar from Heart. Ah, whoa! <laughs> I was uh, I was uh, backstage and um, <laughs> and I got to hold her guitar. The uh, the roadie let me uh, hold her guitar, <laughs> so that's that's why I'm smiling so big because I'm like I'm holding Nancy Wilson's guitar. <laughs> well, you know the fact that you went from performing somewhat reluctantly in the beginning, maybe, but it, finding out you enjoyed it in nursing a nursing home and then yeah. eventually you perform at some of these national venues and also opening for dar williams who's highly thought of and very good cheryl wheeler is another one richie havens from the the 1960s and 1970s richard Shindell, who's phenomenal and al stewart among people how did you go about making that transition um gosh pure luck um i got a great story to tell you about richie havens so um, I got to play at the Birchmere three times. And the first time I played at the Birchmere was opening for Richie Havens. And um, <clears throat> like the coolest thing, I was so nervous that I, you know, Kaiser capos. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. So you, you know, you, you squeeze them and put them on the neck. I went to squeeze the caper to put it on the neck during like this, my second song and I broke it. I snapped it in half. (laughs) So death grip. Richie (laughs) Havens brought me his capo to use, but then, Oh, it gets better. It gets better. Right. So during Richie Havens set, he broke a string on his guitar and they brought it backstage and they asked me if I would change the string on this guitar. And I got to change the string on Richie Haven's guitar. Well, that's cool. Now, now <laughs> what did he do in the meantime for a guitar? Or did he, he just had talk? another guitar. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah. Because he was, if I recall, and I hear, I remember stories of him, instead of using a pick because he didn't have much money, he would use a matchbook, the old soft ones, and strum. Oh. And that's how he had that kind of a percussive sound. Yeah. 
And oh, then, I don't know. And then when he got to actually using a real pick, he that strumming was so rough on the guitar, he'd eat a hole through it. Wow. <laughs> he, he was quite a presence. I mean, yeah, he was, um, but that was like my greatest joy ever. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> saying what that a I fun. Got to the string on Richie Haven's guitar. Now, that brings up a, a question that I've always wondered about, and I've only had a mm-hmm. few people tell me. Um, when you open for someone, whether it's he or Richard Chanel or whatever, is there any interaction between the two of you or is it pretty much, oh, hi, how are you? Thanks for opening for me. And then they walk away. Or do you sit Uh, backstage and chit chat and stuff like that? It's all over the place, depending, you know, different people are like, I sat backstage at the Birchmere opening for Al Stewart Mm -hmm. and Al Stewart before he would eat French fries and drink red wine. And so he sat there and chatted with me while he ate French fries and drank red wine. Um, Cheryl Wheeler and I talked about our animals. This was backstage at the Tin Angel in Philadelphia. And she was telling me how she would write postcards home addressed to her animals, (laughs) to her dog and cat. And, um, and probably the best thing ever, the, the nicest person in the world is Dar Williams. And after I opened for her, um, after the show, you know, she came and talked to, she invited me on stage to sing with her. But um, after the show was over at the end of the night, she said, put out your hand. And I put out my hand and she stuffed a bunch of money in it. And she said, opening acts are never paid what they're worth. Oh, isn't that something more money? Yeah. So she was the best. Yeah. Um, so I didn't, uh, have any interaction with, uh, Richie Havens, uh, face to face much. He stayed in his room, but you know, he, um, he gave me his capo and I got to change his guitar, but I didn't really get to talk to him much, but Al Stewart sat there and, drank wine and ate french fries <laughs> God, if, me for if, a long time. i don't know about yeah. you but if i ate french fries and drank wine before we go on on stage i'd be burping all the way through the first four songs yeah i know i was i was amazed that and he said he always does that huh i'm like hmm. he, he must have done that one time and it turned out to be a fantastic show yeah. and so he does it as his little talisman you know what i mean yeah gosh so how does did you have an agent? Is that how you found those shows? Or is it strictly someone heard a CD you had or something and said, oh, this person should open? How did it go about that you became an opener for these types of folks? Well, yeah, I used to have, um, when I was doing all these cool things, I had someone um, who, you know, beat the pavement (laughs) Mm -hmm. to to get this stuff done. Um, Like, I remember opening for Dar, well, like I got to open for Cheryl, like I remember by just accident, that was through the venue, just contacting the venue and they just paired me up mm-hmm. with her. So that was a lucky draw because um, I got to do that. Um, and in the Birchmere was through, you know, was tracking down Michael Jorick who books the Birchmere. Um, but uh, Dar came about, uh, you heard of Far- Folk Alliance? Oh, yes. Yeah. The, um, so the person who used to, you know, work, you know, who used to get me stuff, um, he, he tracked down her manager at (laughs) Folk Alliance (laughs) and, uh, 
and got me paired up with her. So that's how that happened. Now, when she invited you up on stage, did you know the song she was going to have you sing? Or was it something where the, the chorus was easy enough that you caught on very quickly? Oh, no, no. I know all her. her oh, okay. Music. Yeah, yeah. Because that would no, be if I, someone... I was a huge fan. That's why I, I wanted to to open for her. You know, I was a huge Dar fan. Now, didn't she and Lucy Kaplansky and Richard Schindel, didn't they have a trio for a while? Yeah, Cry, 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 yeah. Yeah. All three tremendous talents. Yeah. They had a reunion just a couple of years ago. Uh, they did a, sh- a short tour. That was uh, that was really fun. It didn't come to uh, the D.C. area. The closest it, it came was Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. So went down to Charlottesville to see it. And then I saw their original tour back in, you know, when was that? The 90s? <laughs> now, are you an avid concert goer or were before COVID hit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Crazy, like always going to concerts. And I never lost, you know, I found my love again for folk music, but I never, you know, lost my love for, you know, rock and roll. So like I mentioned Nancy Wilson earlier, I've been to, I must have been to over 100 heart concerts over the years. I mean, I've seen them million times i i used to travel <laughs> to go see them you know this this started back in uh you know the early 80s i started going i guess i don't have to ask you who your favorite kind of rock group is now <laughs> who who in the more the folkish singer songwriter is the uh, the person you've seen the most times or the, the maybe it's one or two people not necessarily just one well like i try to never miss dar you know when she comes around i I love dar um recently i have become um some of my like newer obsessions music that i i can't get enough of there's um there's the milk carton kids oh yes yep love them um the brother brothers i'm obsessed with them um they're twin brothers and um, have you ever heard of him? His name's Gregory Allen Isakoff. I think I have, actually, yes. Yeah, so I, I just, I love them, play their music all the time. And, um, and I still, um, you know, I love, I've really gone back and love the music from the 60s. Peter, Paul, and Mary. I'm a huge Phil Oaks fan. I love Phil Oaks. And, um, you know, and then I'm still, I really love John Denver. Now, how much of the music you hear or that you go back to affects how you write or maybe not at all? Hmm. I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. I mean, do you start out when you're, you're, initially and i i don't know how you do it everyone seems to do it differently i i'll play the guitar and come up with a little hopefully something that sounds interesting to me and then all of a sudden a lyric will pop out and sometimes i'll go oh that sounds sort of like america or you know that sounds sort of like john lennon oh gosh you know and then i may tailor the song as if i'm writing a song for them because they've been dry for, you know, they had writer's block for the last four years and they really need a new song. 
Does that ever oh, happen like to you? I like that idea. No, I've never thought of that. That's kind of cool. Well, it helps um, me get out of a writer's block because I'm not writing cool. for me. I'm writing for them, if that makes any wow. sense. Yeah, that's cool. I never thought about that. I I don't know. I just kind of sit down and, um, you know, like another question I get asked a lot, and I'm sure you've been asked this as well, uh, is like, what comes first, the music or the lyrics? Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I know some people it's one way or the other, but for me it's sometimes it's the lyrics and sometimes it's the music and sometimes they come together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now lyrics can come to me when I'm walking or driving the car or something, and if something will come to me that speaks to me, like I might stop and write it down. Um, but a lot of times I just sit down with the guitar and just kind of noodle around until you know, something feels right. <laughs> now, do you work at it? And when I say that, when I question that, is it something where you say, okay, today from nine this morning until 11, it's songwriting time. And then I'm going to take time for lunch and maybe go for a walk. And then from two to four thirty, it's songwriting time. Or is it just haphazard? Oh, it's totally haphazard. I wish I could say I did that, but it's never been that way. It happens when it happens. Mm-hmm. And I thought, um, I don't know how the year has been for you, but I thought like being home this year, I would write, write, write. And I went the entire year and didn't write at all. Now, when I did sit down and write was I wrote a book, <laughs> I wrote a novel, You did, <laughs> uh, which is something else I've always wanted to do. And um, I finished the novel and now I got to go back and uh, read through it again and proof it. And I, I kind of put it on hold until the album comes out. Cause right now I'm trying to, work on like getting uh the record out to for some airplay and some reviews and press and stuff so i put the novel on hold but so i yeah i wrote a a book over covid but i didn't do anything with music and the few times i tried it just wasn't there so So i don't know i've been wondering myself like other musicians like like, did they find the year fruitful or did they find the year challenging as well? Well, I can tell you, because this is, I've done about 60, 62 shows. And I haven't necessarily asked that question with maybe a few times, but most people bring it up on their own. And I have been surprised at how many people have become more prolific. And not necessarily, because not everybody is an original songwriter. Many are cover artists, but... Many of them said that they're they, they're practicing more, they're learning new songs, whether it's originals, whatever. And then others, like you, and I'm similar to you in that I've had to work two or three times to get my calluses back. Mm-hmm. In fact, I and I've been doing that for the last two or three weeks because I know the warmer month outdoor it's coming, yeah. And you know, and I play straight. If it's a three-hour gig, I generally don't take a break. So my especially when it's really hot and you get, you know, perspiring, the skin gets soft. And so I need those calluses to be rock hard or as close to as possible. The, so I have to work at it. But how did you come about? Well, you said you've always wanted to write a novel. How did you come up with the theme for the novel? Um, yeah, I'll come back to one thing. I, I did want to clarify. Now, I did sit down. I did play the guitar not a lot, but what I would do is I found myself gravitating back to, I, I learned, I don't know why, I just started singing and playing Simon and Garfunkel songs. Huh. 
So over the year of COVID, I learned a whole bunch of Simon and Garfunkel songs. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it was comforting, maybe. I don't know. So I just I just couldn't write music. But for some reason, I was able to sit down and write an entire novel. And I'd never like it's something I wanted to do because I love books, but I'd never written anything more than a, you know, a song in my life ever. And I just thought, well, what can I do? But again, it was that topic that was heavily like that was on my mind so much, which was the anxiety and um, and panic attacks. And I wanted to, you know, I'd written the songs for the. I think that's what happened. It's like I wrote the songs for the album. I recorded the album. I was done, but I wasn't. I wanted to do more. And so instead of writing more music about it, I wrote an, uh, like a, a coming of age novel of a character who, um, and this, like, whereas my album is all, um, you know, it's all my story. I just took the anxiety and wrote a fictional story of a character that suffers from that. Now, what is your character's name? Um, Simon. I don't know. I guess because you just mentioned Simon and Garfunkel, that the first thing that popped into my oh, my head. Oh, so weird! <laughs> I've never made that connection. Now, when Maybe that's where it came from. <laughs> and just backing up about uh, two minutes, you mentioned you were singing Simon and Garfunkel songs. So, whose part were you singing? Oh, oh well, both. I mean, uh, you know, some of the songs I guess Art sang too. But you know, I'm a uh, I'm a Paul Simon fan. Well, but you do, you are a tenor and, and yes. Garfunkel is, is they're both tenors to a point. Garfunkel right. is just the higher tenor. Let's right. Put it right, that way. right. Yeah. It, as you, as know, you are. Just, yeah. <laughs> it's just me in in there. So it's mostly the, um, mostly Paul. Well, and somewhere on your site and I'm looking for it now and I can't find it, but someone, uh, and I think it was in England or somewhere in Europe, they labeled you as Pavi. Oh, Pavi Denver. Denver. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was that was in Ireland. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, tell that story. They what, what, called what? me. It was this group of uh, musicians in this pub that I played for four hours with, um, and, and closed down the, the pub. It was in it was a Matt Malloy's pub in Westport, Ireland, and um, and when they closed the pub and kicked us all out, we all just stood in the middle of the street. And all these musicians who knew each other because they they meet up at the pub every week, they um, they said that they gave me a nickname, and I'm like, oh, yeah, what is it? What were you? They're like, we're we're calling you Pavi Denver because we thought you were a cross between Pavarotti and John Denver. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, if you're going to be compared to somebody, those are two pretty pretty good uh, people to be. Well, one of the songs on your, your album is Toast and Tea, and the mm -hmm. subtitle to that is Dreaming of Ireland. Yes, too, which it was a sequel to a song I wrote uh, on an old album called Dreaming of Ireland. And when I wrote that original song so many years ago, it was about dreaming of wanting to go to ireland and i finally went to ireland so i felt like it needed a sequel you know mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's what it is now did you you said you performed with that group at the pub 
was uh-huh. it a tour or is that was the singing at the pub just a happenstance? No, no, it just it, it just happened. And um, I, I didn't go there for this was um, this was pure for, um, you know, enjoyment. I wasn't there working at all. Um, but I had brought with me um, the um, the baby Taylor. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the little travel tiny guitar. And I had it along with me on on the trip. And, you know, there was I was there for over two weeks and sat in so many pubs and listened to so many sessions of music and people would just join in and they would just join in. And I watched this night after night and I thought, should I, should I? And then I'm like, no, I don't, I don't want to be some, you know, stupid American trying to, this is supposed to be traditional, you know, traditional music. And then on the last night, because we were leaving, going home the next morning, I said, if I don't join, I'm going to regret it. So, you know, and it, it's, it's hard for me because I'm very introverted by nature to to go up and talk. And, you know, so I shyly approached the group during a break in song and I said, you know, um, I, I have a little guitar. Can I come and join in? You know, and they're like, yeah. They're like, do you sing? And I'm like, yeah. And then they really wanted me because there was a bunch of, you know, musicians. Nobody um, nobody sang. They were all instrumentalists. Oh. And um, I was so excited. I, I went out to the rental car and got my little guitar. And I was like, oh, this is what I've always wanted because I love singing traditional old Irish songs. So I thought it was going to be getting to play all these songs. But once I got in there, they didn't want me. They didn't want it. I got to do one Irish song out of four hours. Like they wanted to hear American songs and they were really, really interested in my original songs. Huh. So I got to sing a lot of my own songs and we, we did American songs. And, you know, that's what they wanted to hear. So I didn't get to sing my traditional ballads with uh, traditional musicians, but it was it was an amazing experience and just so, you know, it was so much fun. And, um, I, you know, I'm really glad I, you know, I got out of my head and went up and asked to join because that's just so not like me to do something like that. And, um, you know, I'll always carry that experience with me. Well, I just found something on your website. And for those folks listening, we mentioned Hidden Poet in the beginning of the broadcast. His, uh, Stephen's website is hiddenpoet.com. And on the show page, I just, I, I went immediately down to your upcoming gigs at Elk Run Winery, Warman's Mill Concert Series, Music on the Steps, and so forth coming up this, this year. But you you did something last year, a little over a year ago, that was called Home Sweet Home Tour. Tell me about that. Oh yeah, that's um, that was right uh, after the pandemic hit, and um, it was really shocking at first. I'm sure Todd, you experienced this too, where just like all of a sudden, like it's the beginning of the year. So like I don't I don't know about you, but like I start booking my the whole year at a time, like at the end of the year. So it's like you have this full calendar of gigs. And then all of a sudden there was like this period, this time of a couple days in March where, where it's like the phone and the emails, it's like cancel, 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 cancel. Mm-hmm. Everything just started canceling before it hit. And for me, it really hit uh, even sooner than, 
the um, the evening gigs was because I play still at nursing homes and places, and those just started, you know, dropping off like crazy at first. Where it was like, it it was just like. I was getting so many emails and phone calls about canceled gigs. It was just like, it was overwhelming. And I was just like, Oh my God, my whole career is, is going down the toilet. <laughs> you know, like nobody knew what to expect. And, um, and people started saying, um, well, you should do something online. You should do something online. And, um, and then people started um, doing concerts and things online. And I just wanted to put a, a, a different spin on it and you know we had the, our house was uh, fairly new moving up here to the new market so i just did a tour around the house where i would sing a few songs i had a different theme each day and i'd sing in a different room and um and then after the concert i would have the bonus material where i gave a tour of the the rooms and the house so um you know, I had different theme nights. Uh, I think I had an Irish night and uh, I'm trying to remember them now. I did a Bruce Springsteen night where I sang all Bruce Springsteen songs. And uh, I did songs in the bathroom and a bathrobe. (laughs) You know, I just tried to make it fun. And um, yeah, so. um, Yeah, it's it's listed. uh, The first one was in the library and then there was the kitchen, then the music room, then the bathroom and then the nerd cave. Yes. What an interesting thing to do, because you're absolutely correct. Many people started to do online, whether it was Facebook Live or whether it was YouTube or whatever. But what a neat take to make yourself different. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I never did it again, Um, (laughs) but um, I think it just became, um, I wasn't sure. I always thought oh, I should do something again, but I couldn't come up with any creative ideas. Now, did so, you did you just record using a, a phone, or what did you? How did yeah. you do it? Yeah, yeah, just with a phone. Yeah, it was so, very low tech. <laughs> well, this has all been fascinating, and and I see by the website you do have gigs coming up. You have one coming up very very soon on May twenty second at Elk Run. Yes, and and, the and then jumping to July and August and. August again, and September, and then September again, and I'm sure you'll fill in some as things open up. But uh, what do yeah, you? You are just coming in now, finally. Yeah. yeah. Now, what do you want for Steve Gelman's career moving forward once all the bad virus stuff goes away and the world opens back up? What's your hope? Um, well, I'm really anxious to get out and play these new songs for people because like i said i i'd always been in the mindset like you don't really play your new songs until the album comes out so Mm -hmm. i barely you know every once in a while i'll throw one of them in but you know i've barely played these tunes so i want to get out and play these songs like the ocean you know for people and um or cold harbor so I really want to do that. That's force both. Uh, this album, Cold Harbor, is my ninth album. So I figure, like, I have to record at least ten albums. So I want to start writing for a new record. Um, I feel like, you know, coming out of COVID, I'm like, okay, I have my year. I want to I want to start writing a new record. I have no idea what I'm going to write about uh, 
whether it'll be another theme record or just whatever hits me, but I definitely want to write a new record and I want to um, edit my book and uh, try and get, um, you know, a, uh, I think what you do, I know nothing about writing books, but I think what you're supposed to do next, once you get your book ready, you're supposed to find a literary agent. So uh, once I get my book ready, I'm going to look for a literary agent and hope to get my uh, book out into the world. Well, until the book hits the market, for those (laughs) of you who want to, and I'm saying when I say you, I mean the people listening, if you're interested in picking up any of Steve Gelman's CDs slash albums, including Cold Harbor, you can go to Steve Steven, that's S-T-E-V-E-N, Gelman, G-E-L-L-M-A-N dot bandcamp dot com, and it'll pull it right up and you can order. It's probably, yeah. you can get the, the hard copy or downloads more than likely, I'm assuming. Yep. Yeah. You can get that digital download or the hard copy or vinyl, which is really cool. It's on, uh, like, ice blue vinyl. Ooh, I like Harbor. that. I like yeah. that. Well, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much, Stephen Gelman, for joining me on the, the, the podcast. I hope you've had fun. I have. I had a great time. I really appreciate it, Todd. Thank you so much for having me. Well, the once you and I finish our conversation and, and we hang up, the folks are going to be listening to your song, I Like, I Love. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, that was like a little bit of the, the, the levity uh, on the record. Um like when I was looking, you know, when I was writing about such tough things as, as depression and um, and panic attacks, you know, you start looking for the light and it's never all bad. So I started taking stock of what, um, you know, what's really important to me in life. And so sometimes it's something silly, like there's a line in there, like, I love Star Wars, you know, and um, it's, so it's about the things in life um, that you, um, that kind of make you who you are and make you appreciate life. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it again. I know the folks are going to enjoy it. It's, it's more of what I call the radio friendly song on the they're all radio friendly, but this one is just kind of upbeat, kind of. You know what I mean? Kind of, mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. grabs you from the first note. But mm-hmm. th- thanks again for joining me. I wish you the very best with when you can get 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 out and play, and in the sale of Cold Harbor, and also in your finding a literary agent and getting your book published. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I haven't even spoken about that to anybody. So I just, I guess I just told everybody about it. You I don't, my, my, my own mother doesn't even know I wrote a book. Well, I guess she does now. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be on both Facebook and people and in People Magazine by the end of the week. So, <laughs> Well, Stephen, thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your day, and it's been fun Thank chatting. You, Thank you so much. All Take right. Care. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Well, that was Stephen Gelman. And what a fun conversation we had talking about all kinds of stuff. And now it's time to listen to I Like, I Love. Rose. 
Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mob Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series and you'd like to tell other people about it, tell them to go to wispymopmusic.podbean.com or they can find it on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you again next time.